Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and I'm really looking forward to sharing this week's podcast with you because I have someone new to introduce you to who's going to discuss one of the most overlooked factors in a bug-out scenario following a wide-scale collapse. One where the road to your safe zone could be in a high-threat environment. Now, you're going to get some real battlefield-proven secrets this week, and I can't wait to get started. So, let's go ahead and jump right in. Check this out. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Imagine that a wide-scale natural disaster, such as flooding or wildfires, has driven you and your family from your home. Imagine that a complete shutdown of our electrical grid has triggered wide-scale panic and chaos. And riots are raging just down the block from where you live and where you raise your children. Or how about facing a martial law lockdown of your town following a pandemic forced quarantine where you must make the decision to leave the area or stay trapped in your home? These are all things that can and do happen. And in a major collapse of civil order, the safest place might be to survive at home with all of your supplies, dug in and waiting it out. But not always. If home becomes more dangerous than the outside world, then you have to leave. You'll be forced to head out on the road in your vehicle with whatever supplies that you can carry. But in an all-out collapse, getting to your Plan B safe zone may be harder than you think. There are potential dangers along the way. Checkpoints, militias, raids and ambushes, all threatening you as you travel. When you make that difficult decision to bug out, to get from a place of danger to a place of greater safety, there's still a lot left to do. Even if you have your route planned, your gear packed, and all the planning in the world done already, there's something you can't always predict, something that adds a dangerous element of the unknown to your bug-out trek. And this is the human threats that you may face in your collapsed bug-out movement. What are the critical tactical solutions to keep you and your family safe as you move to your destination? Well, that's exactly what we're here to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And today we're talking to someone who has vast experience in high-threat mobile operations in real combat zones, Max Velocity. Max, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome having you on. I've been a big fan of your work, and I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing you, especially on, on this topic. So listen, everyone, Max is a tactical and self-defense trainer and author, as well as a lifelong soldier with extensive military experience. Now, he served in both the British and U.S. armies, including the elite Quick Reaction Force Parachute Regiment. He's also served as a paramilitary contractor in both Iraq and Afghanistan, operating in such hot zones as Fallujah, Baghdad, Helmand Province, and Kabul. Now, these operational security roles granted Max exposure to multiple different training methods and tactical schools of thought, as well as both high-profile and low-profile mobile operations across Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, Max also has a great knack for being able to draw from his military experience and translate it into training civilians for post-collapse threats, which is exactly why I've really been looking forward to this interview. Now, to learn more about Max and his training, make sure that you visit him online at his website at www.maxvelocitytactical.com. 
uh, Max, I get I get exhausted just reading your biography, and and then I'm, nobody would consider me lazy. So that's uh, you've got quite a rap sheet there, and I'm looking forward to drawing on it from experience. So so let's let's go ahead and get right into the questions. I mean, because it, it seems to me like with the rapid rise that we've seen of like prepper television shows, reality shows, and self-proclaimed internet experts out there, and and now even the if you watch like the major outdoors magazines, they're now coming out with all of their survival-based publications. So really, there's no shortage of information out there about different methods for surviving a disaster or collapse. But it's that area of bugging out that I think tends to draw the most misinformation, especially when it comes to traveling en route to your destination. Now, we tell people to really shift their thinking about getting to their plan B location as like a military mission. I mean, that's really the way that, that I think they need to see it. And you have a lot of experience with high threat travel in dangerous areas. So Given all of these potential errors that people may fall prey to, what are the biggest mistakes that preppers tend to make when planning for movement from point A to point B in an emergency? Yeah, right. It's, it's, a, it's a big topic, as you say, and you hit on some good points in the intro there. Um, I mean, the three biggest mistakes, um, I would say the first one um, is the stay or go question. Uh, now, obviously, you've said that at this point we have to go. But in general, I see a lot of a lot of out there about people almost instinctively wanting to bug out. So you can put yourself in a better strategic position before anything would happen, looking at where you might want to live, a situation you're going to put yourself in. And if possible, you don't want to bug out at all because you're going to put yourself, as you mentioned, you're going to put yourself out there in that threat environment when you could be safe in a, in a, in a place that you've, you've had time to, to prepare. Um, the second part of that is that, that if you if you are going somewhere, you really need somewhere to go. Because if you just head out, then you're nothing more than a refugee, um, along with all the other people that are probably going to be out on the roads bugging out too. So um, don't go out there if you, if you don't have to. And if you're going to go out there, have a plan of where you're actually going to go. Um, the next part, next part I hit up on that is um, you need to have planning rehearsals and and good timing with this you can't just jump in the car and go um if you if you think that that, that you might end, end up in a situation where you're going to have to bug out from your house to another location whether that be a specific bug out retreat or a relative's house or someplace that you're going to go because your home location has become untenable then you're going to have to plan that in advance you're going to have to look at routes uh mitigate the threat when you're moving i know we're going to cover a little bit of that later on um, and you need to rehearse the move and some drills uh, in case you get into trouble. And you're going to have to time it because if everybody's on the road and you get on the road, then you're just going to be stuck in a traffic jam. Um, so you want to either get advance warning if you can, make a call to move ahead of the, of, the, of the rush, or even a kind of partial plan where you stay a little bit at home and then move after the rush is over. So that's, there's a lot of judgment involved in that. And the final thing that I think a lot of people make a mistake with um, is, is, is with their profile or what you might call posture that they adopt. I think a lot of people, when they talk about these kind of um, uh, end of the world type scenarios, these, these disasters, they all, they all automatically go to, to Mad Max, as it were. Um, and they think, you know, they're going to be driving around with like sticking out of sunroofs with, with firearms or guns sticking out of the windows like a, like a Baghdad taxi. You know, it, 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 it you know, it, 
you've got to adopt your your posture or, or profile to the situation. You you might not have a full breakdown, and therefore you might be drawing a lot of attention to yourself. There may be still be authorities out there who are running checkpoints. I know we'll talk about checkpoints, but so you need to adopt a, a reasonable posture. Think how where you're going to carry weapons, how you're going to carry weapons. You're not going to necessarily be dressed in camouflage. So all these kind of uh, profile questions are going to be relevant to how you plan this move. Yeah, yeah, we talk about that mostly like um, you know you want to be tactical but not look tactical. That could draw you know draw attention to you. That makes a lot of sense. And you know I was thinking about like you know you were saying like you might you, having a route planned out. And so if one of the things I'm, I'm thinking about is like if you're choosing Aunt Bessie who lives in the next state over as like one of your potential safe zones. You know that that might, it might look different on a map, right? Like on a if you look at the road map, it's like okay, we've got a straight shot over and things like that. But like you said, I mean, it's it's different when you actually rehearse it. You know, go visit Aunt Bessie, who you've probably not seen in 20 years anyway since the last family reunion. But you might find out along the way there, like, oh wow, I didn't realize that this city was actually like there's a whole bunch of checkpoint or, or choke points here. You know, this is. We might want to go around this city if we have to. Let's plan another route around it. So that kind of a dress rehearsal doesn't require AR-15s, but it's good to be able to know, you know, actually see the um, your route at, in a rehearsal. Doesn't it make sense? Well, yeah. And the secondary point to that is, don't do all your rehearsal and planning based on GPS, your, your vehicle's Garmin, because you know what happens with those things—they take oh, you on yeah. all kinds of crazy routes anyway. Make sure you actually use your brain, have a map plan the route and don't just follow what the GPS says because uh, who says the GPS is going to take you the right way or is even going to be working come that situation. Yeah. So make sure you've got paper maps and you've rehearsed different routes, alternate routes, back road routes. I was going to talk about a little bit about that, you know, as we, as we yeah, move on sure. to, with, the, with the topic. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, so w- when you're, when you're moving from one location to another and you're in a bug out scenario, it does seem like to me that the most vulnerable, like that's when you're most vulnerable. To, to attacks when you're actually traveling. I mean, you've got rival groups, you've got scavengers, you have gangs. There's there's other threats that are out there that we've seen even on the news. So I'm assuming that the ideal way to bug out is part of a group, part of a convoy, like something that you'd see in Mad Max, but without the leather bikinis and the spears sticking up out of the front grill of your pickup truck. What would you say then is the best way to fortify your survival team convoy against attack from outside threats Without looking like you're saying, you know, like like you're ready for Armageddon to hit at any moment. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, I'm never going to complain about the uh, the bikinis, but however, <laughs> you know, um, so uh, one thing one thing about this is, we, you know, we're talking about fortifying the convoy, and those are the words. But one thing people have really got to understand is that your soft skin vehicles are so vulnerable. People feel very. Uh, um, it's like the whole road rage thing. People feel very safe inside their vehicles. Mm. But they've got to understand that high-velocity rounds just cut through that thing like butter through a knife. And we're not talking armored vehicles here. We're not driving around in, in, in an armored convoy in Iraq. We're talking about the car you go to work in, probably, or a pickup truck, or whatever it is, whatever it is you've got. So you've got to understand that whenever you're moving on roads, you are very vulnerable, and particularly to, to flanking fire, because that's where they're going to hit you from, even if you're wearing body armor plates, front and rear, it's going to come in through the side of the vehicle mainly. Um, and, you know, you get, you get almost a lot of things like, you know, uh, hits in the, in the femur, uh, thighs, you know, side of the torso, that kind of thing. So people don't understand how, how vulnerable you are. 
the, another side to that is people will try and um, make up for that with excess speed. Excess speed in itself is dangerous. You may have to keep some speed in reserve in case you need to get through a threat situation. But, I mean, what we've seen a lot is um, people trying to do excess speed to get through dangerous situations. And what they'll do is they'll have a road traffic accident, and that's how they're going to get injured. So, you know, say you come under, under, under small arms fire and then you're speeding up and driving like crazy and it's all a little bit of a crazy situation. Next thing you come around the corner, smack, the vehicle's rolling. Mm. And that's not going to be any good to anybody. Um, so, also, back to what we were talking about in general with threat mitigation, what you need to do is, is mitigate the threat as much as possible, which you're going to do by route selection. Uh, you're going to try and use back roads, you don't want to get out into the into the um, into the big traffic jam on the interstate. You want to plan some back roads and some alternatives that you can move on uh, to keep yourself away from the from the crowds. And if anything, you want to keep your speed down. Depending on on the kind of situation we're talking about, it's either just a situation where there's a whole bunch of people out there bugging out, or we're we're talking now bandit country where there are definitely people out there who will ambush you. Um, which kind of goes back to the profile that I was talking about before. You want to adopt that as best you can to the situation. You may want to be low profile and not look like you're much, so people won't mess with you, or you may want to be visibly a hard target, depending what you feel the threat is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you want to consider driving at reasonable speed so you can get a good view ahead down any roads, round bends, etc. And then you want to um, understand the, the situation with vulnerable points. And you may want to adopt specific uh, bounding overwatch drills for uh, vulnerable points and conduct as much reconnaissance as you can of the route ahead, even as you move. Um, it's very much like a patrol. Now, I understand this goes in, in kind of uh, in grades from, oh, we're all just having to leave because, you know, there's been a flood or there's a hurricane to we're having to leave because society collapsed. So, you know, again, be reasonable and adapt your measures to the situation. Um, and the final thing here, I think, is people should understand that you really want to be moving in a convoy, not a single vehicle, if you can at all manage it. Um, a single vehicle is even vulnerable to breakdown or, you know, you get a flat tire help for whatever reason. That's another thing you have to have squared away. You have to have your wheel-changing drill squared away and all the gear ready so you're like a, a Formula One team. You've got to pull over, maintain security, change the wheel, and go. Now, if you get a vehicle immobilized through breakdown or whatever it might be, if you've got some kind of convoy, preferably three vehicles minimum, you've got the ability to cross-deck people into other vehicles. And that also gives you um, a little bit more um, strength of force as you're moving along. Um, and you can even use like a lead vehicle as, as a reconnaissance vehicle. And what I've talked about before is even if you're just a single family unit bugging out, which many people will be, if you've got two family cars, it may be, it's not, it's as far from ideal. Um, but what you might want to do is put, for example, the husband uh, into the front vehicle as a reconnaissance vehicle and the fam- the kids, the wife, everything in the rear vehicle, some kind of radio communication between the, t- the two so that the husband can be a little bit ahead in case of trouble. And then he's going to reverse out, but at least he can warn you know, the wife and everything in the, in, in the rear car. Mm. That's n- by no means an ideal situation, but that's the way to kind of get minimum-sized convoy going rather than everybody in one vehicle, which is going to put you in a vulnerable situation. Yeah. Yeah, and if you are in a survival team, does it make sense to, um, you know, because a, t- a lot of times in survival teams, people have different roles. So somebody, okay, I'm the water person. We're the food people. And 
and they might they might not distribute the those supplies among each one of the, the the vehicles. Like there might be food in one vehicle, there might be water in another vehicle, there might be arms and ammunition in another vehicle, so to speak, or you know that sort of a thing. But then if one of those breaks down, all of a sudden you're you're without water completely. So it kind of makes sense then, doesn't it, to make sure that you each vehicle, if it is going to be if it gets pushed off to the side or if you have to leave it off to the side or that's the only one you can go out in, it has at least, I guess, life-sustaining, you know, gear and supplies in there, I guess. It really does yeah, take so a lot of planning. Yeah, tactically load the vehicles, and then, so you've got a division of supplies, and everybody also then, on top of that, needs a grab bag. Right. So, and we're kind of similar talking to a bug-out bag kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, don't like the idea of the bug-out bag too much, but they need that grab bag so that if we have to grab, and that can even be, because remember, we're translating this from military into a civilian environment, so that is even the mother's grab bag for the kids with the diapers in it, with the with the formula, yeah. you know, and that, that gets grabbed when the vehicle goes down, and you just move them all into the other vehicle and, and move on. Yeah. Yeah, great. All right, we've been talking with Max Velocity of MaxVelocityTactical.com about high-threat mobile operations in a collapse, and we have a lot more to get to, including how to deal with military, militia, and warlord checkpoints, defending against ambush attacks on your bug-out caravan, and how to set up a defensive security plan for protecting your camp as you bug out to your Plan B safe zone. But first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Max Velocity of MaxVelocityTactical.com, talking about high-threat mobile operations in a post-collapse environment. We've really only scratched the surface, so let's go ahead and get back into our interview now. Now, Max, uh, unless we ever reached full meltdown mode, I doubt the typical bug-out attack will look like a post-apocalyptic movie with enemies attacking from every side. It could look more like traveling in African warlord territory, where you're, you're evacuating with your supplies to a place of greater safety and then forced to face checkpoint obstacles along the way. Now, these could be everything from military checkpoints, where they might confiscate your guns, like for your own safety, or even bribery checkpoints where those in, in power in a local area might 
charge you sort of like a like a like a road tax or something of your stuff before they'll they'll let you go buy it. What are the best tactics to deal with the threat of checkpoints when you're bugging out? Yes, this is quite a, quite a detailed topic because um, but the first thing we need to look at is 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 um, you know what kind of checkpoints you're dealing with, and and in general with these these checkpoints, the best tactic is avoidance, which comes back to what I already mentioned, which was route selection, mitigation of the threat. If you can take those back roads and just stay away from the main you know, evacuation routes that people are taking, then you may avoid most of these problems. Um, now, if, you, if, you've got, uh, uh, if you can't avoid a checkpoint, and let's say it's, a, um, it's an actual illegal checkpoint by the authorities, then you've got the danger that if you pull into that wearing a camouflage with your weapons on display, then you, you you stand the danger of having all that stuff confiscated and you know losing your ability to defend yourself once you've moved through the checkpoint. So that goes back to your profile posture considerations of maybe you know you just try and make yourself as normal as possible, have those things hidden away, you know maybe in the footwell underneath something, so that it doesn't look to a casual observer in the checkpoint as you come through as you're showing your driver's license that you have all these things, unless they're searching all the vehicles. And, of course, then I get back to, which I probably wouldn't have time to in this kind of situation, but then we get back to, you know, just avoidance of the checkpoint in general. Um, now, if it's a, an illegal checkpoint, some kind of extortion, bandit, whatever it might be, um, what you've got to remember is any good checkpoint, there's going to be a guy on the road, there's going to be a way to slow the traffic. Um, now, that might be a hard stop, or it may just be, you know, an S-bend. Um, now, it's going to be covered by fire. It should always assume it's going to be covered by fire from some kind of flanking individual with a weapon who's covering the guy who's doing the, uh, the checking on a checkpoint, which means that if you try and just run through that, even if you run over the guy in the road, you are going to immediately uh, ha have to deal with that threat of that, of that fire coming straight into your soft skin vehicles. So again, back to um, avoidance, try and see these things early Try and keep your speed down. Remember, one of the big dangers of checkpoints is they're going to be sighted around a corner, so you're upon it before you know it. And it, again, if it's a really good checkpoint, it won't, only ha only ha it won't just have a cover guy on the uh, to cover the road guy. It'll also have cutoff um, groups, which will be further up the road either side. So that if you try and reverse out, they've got you. Now, it just depends on you know most. Normal checkpoints won't have those cutoff groups, but it's something to be considered. So try and see it, in, in summary here, try and see it early. Even if you kind of come around the corner, you might have the ability to reverse away from it, which is why you want, again, back to our patrolling skills, you want to have some good distance between your vehicles as you're moving so that there is space for the lead vehicle to, re to reverse out. Now, again, this comes back to having good drills and rehearsals and SOPs. So, for example... If your lead guy comes around the corner, he's into an illegal checkpoint, he's, he doesn't want to be up there. He doesn't want to be up talking to the guy because he's covered by all that, that, that danger right there. He's covered by the cover man, the road man. He's in danger. So what he wants to do is he wants to reverse. And if he's reversing, if he then comes under fire, then if you've got good drills, what your rear vehicles can do is then they can put down fire from the flank or the rear to, to cover his withdrawal. When we start talking about families here, we, we start to look upon this very much like we do a close protection convoy because what I call, I call protected personnel. So let's say you've got uh, women and children um, 
who, who are non-combatants, non-shooters. So, um, or, or anybody, it's granddad, grandma, whoever it is, uh, they're your non-shooters. So you're going to put your shooters in, say, the, the lead vehicle, the reconnaissance vehicle, and the chase vehicle, if, if you're only driving in a three-vehicle convoy. Center vehicle, you're going to have your protected personnel with someone driving and someone to protect them. So they want to be moved straight out of the way. Get those kids back, reverse, 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 get the kids back out of the way, and then if the vehicle that went into the checkpoint is, is needing cover as it reverses out, it's the chase vehicle that's going to give them cover. Mm. Now, if you end up in a checkpoint, worst case, you end up in a checkpoint, and that lead vehicle is right there, and he's, he's the guy's at his window. If it's a checkpoint where you're under immediate threat, then you may have to try and punch through, in which case you're going to have to um, shoot the roadman and drive. Um, there's various techniques for this, but basically it's only going to work if you can get through the checkpoint. Now, if it's an actual hard stop, like they put something right across the road, you're not going to, be able to do that, so you're going to be back to reverse, reverse, reverse. So there's a common theme coming through here. Try and avoid driving into it. If you do see it, reverse out. If you get all the way into it, reverse out. And if the guy who's trying to reverse out is um, is being uh, is is being is under fire from the checkpoint, then you need the ability to put down some kind of cover and fire to get him out. This is kind of worst case checkpoints. Here. Remember, I'm not talking about yeah. a sheriff checkpoint. You know, just to be clear about that, I'm talking about bandits have got some kind of blockade across the road. And, you know, you don't know, because you could say, oh, I'll just drive in and uh, yeah, it'll be okay. I'll give them $100 or whatever. Well, maybe the $100 isn't going to be enough for them. Maybe they want you women and children. You just don't know. So you can't submit to their power, as it were. If, if you see it, you, you've got to get out of it. Otherwise, you potentially become hostages. Um, and again, back to what I was talking about, about your posture and your weapon carriage. If you're moving on this bug out situation, it, it just depends on the situation. If you've got, you know, uh, FEMA's out in force because there's been a hurricane, that kind of thing, and it's, it's, it's National Guard checkpoints, then obviously we're not going to be running these drills. What we're more concerned about at that point is that nobody takes our weapons off us so we can no, no longer defend ourselves as we move. Um, so different considerations. And a lot of this comes down to being too reasonable and rational about what we're doing and adapting that to the situation. Yeah. No, there's a lot of great information in there. I mean, that's uh, and those are those are scary uh, those are scary times. I mean, and and it thinks it makes me think of like a home invasion type scenario. Like, a, you know, if they're bandits and things like that, they're probably used to people, you know, being intimidated. It's probably you know a lot of people go through there, and it's and they're not used to these type even thinking like we're talking about, and so they're easily intimidated. And you know, by giving in to them. It kind of boosts their confidence. We talk about home invaders. You know, they're they're after it not just for the television. They're after it for the power, and and what you know what comes with that that thrill. And it's that same sort of thing. If you kind of give in to that power, you're you know like if they tell you go ahead and put these handcuffs on and you do it, then all of a sudden you've just taken away your options. And I guess it's kind of like that same that same thing. Yeah. You know, one of the things that concerns people the most about bugging out is is the danger of being ambushed by those who either want to stop us, make victims of us, take what we have, or or some horrible combination of all those things. Now, people get desperate when social order breaks down, and we've even seen things on like YouTube where where survival teams or these these there's a certain type of prepper out there that their plan is to prey on other people who have supplies and equipment. 
So this starts to look like a realistic option to them when there's no law and order, anything to hold them accountable. So what are your best strategies to defend against ambush attacks like this when bugging out on, on the road? Right, and we've touched on some of these things as I've been as I've been rambling. Um, so, I mean, one of the principles of patrolling is security. So, we're going to have security at all times. So, whether we're moving on the road or whether we're stopped for a short haul overnight patrol base, whatever it is, we're always going to be positioning ourselves and observing in a way to establish security. Now, the first thing we want to do is we want to try and avoid movement, if at all possible, in a high threat environment like this. And we already discussed this. If you don't have to bug out, if you don't have to make this move, then don't do it. And also, I would avoid, if at all possible, unless something absolutely forced me to move, bugging out to nowhere, which basically makes you a refugee. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're just, you know, tides of war is, is, is your fate at that point. Um, so that, that's really talking about strategic planning and location. Um, if you are making a move to your retreat, you're forced to bug out by threats to your home, then you want to move as a drilled convoy. I've touched on this a little bit, but if you run it like a close, a close protection convoy, your protected personnel in the center, if you can do it, you know, group some families, group some people together so you've got minimum three vehicles. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, again, it comes back, I keep mentioning this profile, you can still move those three or four vehicles, whatever you've got, in a natural way so that people don't necessarily understand that you are a convoy. So you're kind of moving them naturally, but you're still mutually supporting each other as you move. And therefore, what you're doing with, with that front reconnaissance vehicle and the chase vehicle, what you're doing is you're, is you're allowing yourself to do a little bit of reconnaissance ahead, keep those protected personnel a little bit safer. And then you've got the ability to, if necessary, stop and deploy shooters from the vehicles to support someone who's got in trouble. So basically, any vehicle that's in trouble is going to maneuver out whilst other people support. Um, now, you can consider hardening your vehicles um, there's various kind of um, hillbilly ways of, 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 of protecting vehicles. Um, you, now, I mean, uh, you can go anywhere from like, you know, steel plate, that kind of thing. But if you think about it, let's say you're moving children. Maybe you've got them in the back of a minivan. This is an interesting thing to consider. Um, something a little bit controversial in a way is, is child seats. Do you really want to set up high in child seats like that, which I know is safer in terms of a, of a crash, but then getting them out quickly if the, something happens to the vehicle – any vehicle that is downed in the kill zone is a bullet magnet. So maybe you don't want them strapped into those car seats in that way. Maybe you can put them in the back of a minivan surrounded by items that may, even phone books, have quite a good effect at stopping small arms fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could just harden the vehicles a little bit, then you're going to increase the survivability of, of, of those precious ones that you've got that you're moving uh, with you. One thing uh, you could do if you really wanted to put the time into this is, is the and it's quite low profile as well. If you want to get one of those um, those contractor style, uh, fully enclosed white vans like a transit van, um, not a pickup truck, but the one with the fully enclosed back, preferably with no windows in it, you could actually harden that inside with steel plate, and that would be a low profile way of moving people, and it's going to be ambush uh, resistant. So it's something to consider if you really wanted to take that seriously. You could make a, a kind of a low-profile protected vehicle. Um, uh, so you're going to say something? Well, I was just going to say I, mean, I like the, the hillbilly method. And, and, you know, the fact is, I mean, a lot of people really aren't going to take the time maybe to do that sort of thing. But it's interesting that you bring up even things like phone books and, and stuff like that. Um, 
you know, Masad Ayub is, is one of the instructors in our network, and he talks about positioning your home. Like for a home invasion, a bookcase with books on it um, can stop um, a high-power, you know, handgun. You know, so using that as cover. So what are some – and I've been thinking about this as you've been talking. Like what are some of those hillbilly methods, I guess, of either – fortifying your vehicle or maybe equipment that you might have like as an example you've been talking about communications equipment and knowing where checkpoints might be and it, it came to my mind that um way back when this is like the um smoky and the bandit type days but my stepfather used to have a cb radio and on the radio they would always say like there's a checkpoint here there's a checkpoint there you know smoky over here and it, it seems like maybe even having something like that like a cb radio where there would be a channel where you could find out where there might be certain checkpoints or danger areas and stuff like that. So that being said, um, I think maybe to integrate this is what kind of hillbilly ways are potentially at least, maybe it's not a steel plate, but it's a, at least gives you better protection than just going out in the family Volkswagen and hauling off down the road. Yeah. Well, there's an extreme version, which is a contractor van I, I mentioned. In yeah. fact, at one time in, in the early days of Iraq, we actually had these pickup trucks and we, we took the door furniture out and we actually put steel plate there and it kind of came up a bit so it would protect our, up to our shoulders. Uh, and that's a little bit extreme. And if you're going to use steel plate, make sure you test it against, because some is harder and better than others. Um, so make sure you test it. But, but you can use things like, uh, you know, phone books, even water. Is, is, is good um, at protecting against. So if you, if you were carrying water, what, what I'm really thinking about here is if you're trying to, unless you're going to do some real engineering to your vehicles, the only thing you can really do is, is create a kind of a box. And so let's say you had some kids in the back of a van, something like that. You could create a box kind of effect around them on the sides of the vehicle where you might put things like that. You may, you may even put steel plate there and kind of create a box in the back of the vehicle so that these guys are protected. Anything that you've got, any kind of load that you're carrying, obviously depends whether it, what kind of ballistic uh, protection it does provide. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, anything like that, you know, even actual, um, even actual body armor. If you've got actual body armor, you can kind of put that around the sides of the vehicles. I know that's been done quite a lot before. And even I've, I've seen people, you know, put body armor kind of over the back of their seat rest. You know, like spare sets, so that any shots from behind it kind of protects you mm -hmm. from behind like that. And and because you're you're particularly vulnerable from flank shots, as I mentioned, as you're driving along the side of the road. If, if the ambush comes from the side of the road, then it's coming through the doors, coming through the doors and the windows from the side. Um, so that's what you're really vulnerable for, vulnerable to. So anything that's got ballistic protection that you can create somewhere. My priority would be for those those protected personnel, such as kids that you'd want to create a safe space for them. Because, I mean, can you imagine how terrifying it would be, you, 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 how terrible it would be if you, if you, if you manage to successfully evade an ambush, you drive out and you turn around in the car and look, and I don't even want to mention it, but there's the kids back there, and yeah. the sight is not good. Yeah. You, know, I mean, you know, you might have survived, but you don't want rounds coming through the back of the vehicle as, as they're firing at you as you drive out. You know, because yeah. that's the primary drill that you'll do. If, if, you, if you're ambushed and the road is not blocked, and the vehicles are not immobilized, you're going to increase speed and drive out of there, returning fire as, as you can, yeah. whether, whether you can or not. That's your primary job, is just to drive through. And then, of course, the drills get more complicated. If a vehicle's immobilized, the road's blocked, and then you get drills for all those, um, those kind of circumstances. And that's why you've got to rehearse and, and practice them. Um, but those vehicles are going to be taking rounds. 
So, um, yeah, that got me thinking because I mean, you nowadays you can you can typically at like military surplus stores you might be able to find you know excess flak jackets and stuff like that relatively cheaply, and those can come in come in pretty handy, especially. You know, you probably don't want to drive around in the Mad Max mobile on your way to work and, you know, non-collapse thing. But, you know, there, there are things you can easily break out. Like you said, put them around, put them around the kids even or put them around the, the seat or stuff like that. That makes sense. And the other thing I was thinking about, like you were yeah. saying that one of the typical, um, threats that people maybe don't think about isn't, isn't necessarily small arms fire, but getting into an accident. You know, you turn the corner, all of a sudden yeah. you slam into something. So even just, when you think about it in like military terms, you know, driving through the desert, getting sand in your eyes and things like that, any sort of debris, if you can't see, you can't drive. And so having some sort of protective goggles that you could wear as well, that would make sure that if there's broken glass, if somebody's shooting at you, if there's, you know, smoke in the air or whatever it is, that you've got something that you can maintain, you know, some some visual, you know, field as well makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. Yes, certainly. You know, we've been we've been talking a lot about being like inside the vehicle, and you know, we've talked about you know basically the the mobile convoy. But and, and when you're inside, at the very least, even if you don't have protection and stuff like that, you at least have cover and mobility. You can get out of an area potentially fast, things like that. But there might be times along the way where you need to make an encampment. You know, we talk about bugging out basically, like you a seven. You know, we always kind of position it as the 72-hour mission, you know. So along the way, you know, there might be opportunities or, or not opportunities, but times where you may need to to make an encampment. And that's going to make you vulnerable to other types of attacks. And we talk about things like gangs or hostile force, or even we talk about fellow survivors who basically become beggars. Like you are saying, like basically they're refugees looking for anything they can get their hands on. And we talk about how they might ask you for supplies at first, but then when you say no, all of a sudden asking turns into begging, begging turns into demanding, and then when you say no again, it's like, well, wait a minute, you've got that and we don't, and then they might just take it. So there might be a time where, you know, you've really got to, to set up like a defensive position. You know, if you think back to the old settler days, you know, when they were on their trek across the prairies or whatever, there were Indian attacks. And so they would circle the wagons and they would provide this defensive position for them to be able to keep everybody safe. So let me ask you, in that same type of a thing, you know, when you're looking at a hostile raid attack, both from a preparation angle and as well as a defense angle, what are the best ways to, to protect your party? Yeah, and that's really interesting. Um, the, the, the situation you just mentioned where the people are, are kind of coming onto you and begging and then it's escalating, the, the best thing to do for that, you've got to have some kind of standoff because you can imagine how difficult the situation would be if, if they're like on you and around you and in you and, and it's getting, you know, it's going to end up in a short range gun battle at some point. So you, you want to have some kind of standoff, keep these people away, which in itself would be, this is if they, if they locate your position. Um, so you've got to have rules of engagement for that. You've got to, to challenge them. You've got to make, keep them back. Some kind of rule of engagement that everybody, everybody understands. Um, now, if you're going to stop, you're either going to do a short stop or you're going to do a long stop, which may be an overnight. It might be, a, you know, during the day, whenever you decide to rest. Um, so you've got to look, look upon that as a patrol base. And so like I talked about before, you've got to, your primary thing there is security. And um, the thing about a patrol base is concealment. So if, if you do a short halt, which might be by the side of the road because maybe you've just had a flat tire, 
then that's going to be a short halt. You have to adopt a security position, park your vehicles, you know, box or whatever it's going to be, get people, you know, covering either way, sentries out, that kind of thing, while you very quickly deal with the problem and then move on. That, or that could be, you know, it could be getting that vehicle going again, or it could be simply cross-decking to the other vehicle, the other vehicles. Now, if you're going to actually stop for a period of time, then you don't want to be doing that by the side of the road. Because anybody that's going to come along, you're going to get that position where you don't have standoff. Those guys are going to be right there. And you could get hostile raids. They know exactly where you are. So what you want to do is you want to push off the road into some kind of cover and concealment so that you can have a, a clandestine uh, rest stop. Um, and when you start to think about that, there's a lot of implied tasks. You need to push off, but you want to be pushing off not onto someone else's property where they might be holed up in their own house. So you want to look and re- reconnoiter places where you can just kind of get away from the, the sides of the road. And once you do that, you've got to, you know, adopt, like you talked about, circling the wagons. You want to get them in a, in a good defensive position. You want to put sentries out. You've got to have light and noise discipline. You're not going to have, you know, a huge campfire. You don't want flashlights shining around. Um, what you want to think about with your vehicles is you want to disable the lights in your vehicles. Like, you know, when you open the door, the lights come on, or the door goes boing, boing, boing. You know, think about disabling um your uh, brake lights, that kind of thing. There's things that you want to do that are not going to, 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 you can maintain the, the concealment of that overnight stop. Um, think about little things like um, uh, night vision equipment, maybe even thermal, like you get the uh, the Fleur Scout, very small little device which you can use for your sentries to scan the surrounding area whilst you, this is no different from if you're on a dismounted patrol base. Um, so there's night vision thermal you want to consider. You might even want to consider, now here's the thing, IR lights on your vehicle so you can actually drive blacked out at night. Be careful if you're doing it on the roads because there's people that have yeah. their lights on and you don't have your lights on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you might be driving perhaps cross-country, mm-hmm. which leads to another consideration is that your vehicle should be at a get-off road. So, I mean, what, what are we going to need to consider if we want to get our vehicles off-road? Well, maybe there's a gate. Maybe we need to have bolt croppers to get through the gate or through a barbed wire fence. If you cut the barbed wire fence, get our 4 by 4 vehicles out, drive across the field, over the other side of the field, into a place where we've got some concealment, you know, put the barbed wire fence back. So think about how you're going to do that because you know how it is. Often if you're on a road, there's, there's ditches by the side of it. There's nowhere really to get off it. So you might be limiting your options. But you certainly don't want to be stopping and trying to sleep in your vehicles by the side of the road. So once you start to think about that, you, you lead yourself to a lot of implied tasks. How are we actually going to do this? And one of the main things here is your kind of battle discipline, um, which is if your vehicles are parked there and you are trying to sleep, then you need to have sentries, people on alert, a defensive posture, and a plan should you be um, seen and someone should come and you know try and attack your location which is also then going to include what happens if we're attacked you know we're going to wake up we're going to defend ourselves what's the bug out plan we need to get in the vehicles under covering fire we need to move off and and get out of there so you it all comes effectively down to dare i say it's very much a military operation yeah it is and and we're using all the same skills that we would use in the military or doing you know high threat high-risk high uh, close protection. It, this kind of scenario we're talking about, it's exactly the same kind of stuff. Yeah, it really is. It really is. 
and that's that's why I was so glad to have you on this call because it really does you've you've brought a lot of firsthand tactical training to uh to this conversation. I really appreciate it. And it's and it's based on real world experience, which you don't get a lot out there. So um so anyway, I really appreciate you taking some time with us today on this. This is really great stuff. Um listen everyone, as you can see, it's not like you're going to go and, and grab your buddies and your AR-15 arsenal and a six-pack of beer and head out into the neighborhood to practice this kind of stuff. So if you're if you're looking for realistic training, and obviously you can see all the different dangers that this type of a scenario poses for you and your family, but it's not it's not hard. I mean, it is hard to find that kind of practical training that you can actually go through it. So this is only part of it. Knowledge is only part of it. The rest of it is putting into practice. So what I highly recommend you doing is going over to Max's website at www.maxvelocitytactical.com because he's got a lot of great information there. Um, a lot of the stuff that we talked about is in a book that he has called Contact. You can get that on his website as well. And this has it he has a whole chapter in there on high high profile, high threat mobile uh, environments and being able to protect yourself as well as some drills and stuff that you can do. So it helps expand on what we've been talking about. And there's also a training schedule there because Max actually trains people in this type of of stuff. And and like I said, that's that's not easy to come by. So go ahead and over there and uh take a look at his website, take a look at his other articles, take a look at his books, and check out the training schedule and get yourself in there to, to go ahead and put this stuff into action. So uh so great stuff, great stuff. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. Thanks, everyone. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>